They should win the game. They get a point. We, we scored a perfectly good goal. Make it 2-0. Game's done, done dusted. We win the game. Officials cost us two points today. It's standard. 10 past 10. Most of the children are probably in bed, but the, these, these boys are fucking mentality giants. It's unbelievable. And Chikiri, hasn't he the funniest shape? He's a little chunky fella. They'll fight for the tree. It's a joke. It's not about far this, far that. Help the officials out. Clearly they need help. Clearly, we play in the Premier League. It's a joke. It's a joke. So after one of the worst Irish international breaks in quite some time, topping even some of Martin O'Neill's worst efforts in his time in charge, Mick McCarthy has now fallen well down the best Mick's pecking order behind Mick Wallace, Mick Jagger, Mickey Mouse, Mickey Joe Hart and Mattress Mick. Hello and welcome to this week's Tree the Back podcast. How are you lads? Very Kev, very good, everything. How are you Kev, how you felt? Um, so let's get straight into it, I suppose, as there's a, a lot to unpack from uh, nil all Boarfest against Georgia and the 2 0 defeat in the muck and shit of Geneva. Um, two results which leaves us needing a win in the Aviva against Denmark in the last qualifier of the group next month. Um, or failing that, we will have a Nations League semi final to look forward to for a backdoor entry. Phil, let's start with your kind of overall synopsis, your overall rating of the past week and the two games. Um, and please note that I will accept negative scores if uh, if that's how you're standing there. Yeah, I, I think I'm gonna be I'm gonna be more in the Lakeep style of uh, ratings than like the Daily Mail, which seems to give everyone six or seven. I'm gonna go with a two for this one. Uh, I'm I'm really down on this window, um, I, and the cherry on top was I saw this morning that uh, Enda Stevens had talked off the ball after the game last night and said that Ireland hadn't worked on the three five two shape they started in last night. This window, so straight away that docks off two points for me. I might have given it a four. Mm-hmm. Draw a draw away to Georgia. The performance was horrendous, but Denmark had the same fate in the last international window. And I, I watched the game at the time and knew that Georgia were going to cause us a lot of problems because we're not exactly the best side of breaking down their defenses. But and um, like the the approach to the Switzerland game in that going for three four two seemed like the right thing to do with the wrong personnel. Then it turned out he hadn't even actually practiced the shape which might explain why the team played like they had practiced the shape. Um, and just, just like the decisions that were made, the just how, how uninspiring it felt, how like since John Egan hit the post after four minutes against Georgia, we basically went the rest of the two games without even really looking like we were really going to score. Um, I'm quite downbeat after those two games, but by uh, the time the 18th of November rocks around, I'll be right back up and... Uh, that we'll win but right now speaking to me today I feel quite negative about the whole thing I'm giving it yeah lads I'm giving it an 11 out of 10 I thought it was absolutely fantastic like it was like I said on Twitter it was a bit like watching uh, a plucky underdog in a horror sort of like you know go right to the end fully unaware that they were just about to get shopped in half with a chainsaw like that's what it felt like to me you know the goals just were not gonna come and um, yeah look overall lads you're probably talking a two three i'll give them a three based on glenn whelan's performance alone like did, did you see him in the like it was like right at the end of the game and he just made this like long bursting run mm. into the swiss half they lost the ball. The Swiss countered. Glenn Whelan's like running back. He's like not really getting there. But he's getting there. A, a Swiss player turns inside him, and, and like Glenn Whelan goes to turn, and like his legs just locked up. Like it was so yeah. funny looking. Like do you know what I mean? Yeah. His legs are just it's just locked, and he was just like, oh, I can't believe this. And then about like four seconds later, he's he's bloody like throwing his body at like like a, a salmon. Like do you know what I mean? Like. Mm-hmm blocks the ball heroically and they score anyway um, but I think that that was essentially like the, the only sort of glimmer of hope that I'm taking from this horrific uh, week and a half of Irish football um, yeah I mean in terms of like the Georgia game Christ like I needed counselling after it I, 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 I literally had to go find a counsellor in Belfast and give them 80 euro to talk my demons out of me. It was so bad. Um, and then to compound that misery, James McLean, McLean starts again after like one of the worst, single worst performances I've ever seen against Georgia. He starts again somehow. Um, 
and really didn't redeem himself all that much. Uh, like I, I feel kind of bad for going in on McLean, but because like essentially this is his level, and okay, he's played above himself every now and again, um, you know, with Ireland, and he just gives his all. Like there's no doubt about it. But like, oh, it's so so depressing watching him time after time run down blind alleys and lose the ball. It, you know, overall, the only kind of thing that I'm taking from the, the, the Switzerland game is that I knew we were going to be beaten. Like, like it was no great shock, lads, was it? Like, yeah. you knew they were going to be beaten. Like, it, it's you're hoping against hope that they get a result. But in reality, like, why would anybody be optimistic about getting a result against Switzerland? Like, why? Like, like they've given us nothing to assume that we would be in any way in with the shout of a victory here. The whole campaign has been absolutely an abomination. It's up there with the loaves and fishes that we are top of the group. I cannot <laughs> believe it. It's unbelievable. Like, yeah. The second half, I suppose, like, you know, 1-0 down, they kind of put their, the, you know, Hendrick and Whelan kind of got on the ball and tried to, like, play with a bit more zip and ferocity. And, you know... I, you felt like something might happen. And then I think it was like 20, was it like 65 minutes? I think, you know, Aaron Connolly came off and and Scott Hogan came on. And it just, it just, the whole oxygen of the team just like zipped right out of it and it was gone. And yeah, it was an inevitability. Like, yeah. But other than that, it was fantastic and entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know what you thought, Kev. Um, I think the less said about the George game, the better. Um, that was pretty grim. And I think as much as Mick tried to put a shine in it after the game, saying it was a good result against a tough side, the fact that we arrived into Tuesday night and we saw the team sheet and we were like, OK, he's making some changes. He's Trying Connolly, which is fair enough. That was partly some of the pressure from from the media and fans put him in. He's brought in Alan Brown, which is fair enough. And Stevens is back in, and we were kind of speculating in the group chat when we saw the team. Initially, kind of assuming that it was um, uh, going to be four three three with Connolly probably on the left. Um, and James Collins up front, and then having thought about it for a moment, you're like, okay, is it four four two maybe with Collins and Connolly up front together? Mm. And then when Mick did his interview with Tony Donahue and basically outlined his plans, three five two, and I know Keen you had kind of suggested three five two as as a possible mm. wish list in terms of uh, of lineout, and it immediately dawned on everyone that. Okay, he's gone for three five two, and he's putting his best left wing back as one of the centre backs. Mm. We have one of our best right wing backs on the bench who didn't come on. James McLean has been flung out to left wing back instead, and it was just an absolute disaster waiting to happen. And the fact that it came out then that they hadn't worked on the the on the tactics and on the shape, it was evident throughout the game because there was just so much space being left behind between the midfield and the defence. And there was points where Aaron Connolly didn't know where to be. He was being pulled and dragged back towards the defence um, and out left. And he was basically, you know, running around like a headless chicken. And it was clear as day from the first 20 or 30 minutes that he's not going to last the hour if he's going to continue like that. Um, I mean, Mick deserves some bit of credit, A, for starting Connolly, and B, for trying something different. But the personnel that he used in in that kind of trade the back experiment, it, it just it just didn't work. Mm. But I mean, like that. It, but it was so obvious, though, lads. Like yeah. it was so obvious that it was not mm. going to work. Like I, I don't know what you guys think, right? You can come back at me on this, right? But like starting Conley is not like I'm not giving me credit for starting Conley. It's like the most obvious thing in the world. Mm. <laughs> however, yeah. Yeah. however, I I have I I did say in a conversation like on Twitter previously before these games where I don't think Conley is going to be a, a success under under Mick anyway because I, like, I'm, I nearly like hope he doesn't start him anymore because 
I don't think this this style of play that Mick employs, right, the short-termism, is made for a, a guy like Conley. Like, from the, the little bits of football that I've seen of Conley, I don't think he's a maverick. He's not, he's not a, you know, he's not a guy with this unbelievable individualistic um, skill set that is going to just win you games on his own. He works brilliantly in a structured side, coach to play attack in football. And we don't do that. So it's just like, it, you know, I'm not giving him credit for playing Conley. That's, that's it, like. Yeah, like, I completely agree. I mean, like, you look at his other options of not playing Connolly, and it's playing uh, Jim Collins, which he has done, who uh, is a striker with Luton, and then Scott Hogan, who's not really getting a game with Stoke, and who, during the week, said, I don't know why anyone would pick me. Oh. So, like, if they're, if they're your options, you're going to start the fellow who scored two goals in the Premier League. Like, and I, I completely agree with you, Keen. Like, Connolly's not, like, Eden Hazard or somebody who's, like, no. going to conquer something out of absolutely nowhere. Like, all the talk after his goals were how he reminded everyone a little bit of Robbie Keane because he was a finisher. And, mm. like, we know about Robbie that, like, that, that was his game. It was, like, it was penalty box finishes. And if Conley's going to be the same, there has to be an idea of how we get the ball to him. Like, at the minute, this side's idea of getting the goal is through set pieces and putting the man chained up his head. And they couldn't mm. even do it last night because they let out, left out the best set piece taker. But there's no other plan in place to, like, it doesn't not even work the ball through the midfield into the forest. There's not even a plan to knock it into the corner, get some bit no. chase, put into it. It doesn't exist. The route to goal doesn't exist. So they're not going to find it in a game to yeah. to help Connolly. And like I, I'm the same as you. I, I just kind of despair a little bit at like last night. He must have broke the Irish record for putting up that his thumb to thank a teammate for overhitting a pass. I mean that that's all he was able to do. Mm-hmm. was like say thanks very much no no James you're alright yeah, no no you overhit that one sorry yeah, yeah Johnny Egan that's alright no worries it's okay it was overhit like it, it must you can see why strikers must hate coming to play for the Irish team unless yeah. you're like James Collins who is basically playing the same as he plays week in and week out but like someone like Connolly who's part of an increasingly progressive system of Brighton like Graham Potter mm-hmm. doing great stuff with them and they're actually transforming their style of play and then he comes over to this mm-hmm. and like watching the ball skid out over the line and he's having to dig up his thumb and say thanks Seamus for overhitting another one like what's your take right on what's your take on Scott Hogan coming on for Conley ahead of Robinson yeah. and, mm. and and Shawnee Maguire can somebody explain this to, the thinking behind this I don't get it like no, I, mean, I, abs- I absolutely don't and from what you could tell watching and I think um, one or two of the Switzerland players alluded to it afterwards is that the minute Scott Hogan came on they basically looked at each other and said okay this guy is not fast let's push up and obviously led to uh, the second goal because they were just able to squeeze Ireland into their own half nearly um, and Fabian Scher had the world of space when he got on the ball and he was able to stride through like a gazelle numerous times and when you're bringing on like in fairness like Connolly was uh, was uh, like onto nothing really in the role that he was cast but despite that he does have that tread of pace where like if something kind of magically uh, worked itself from the midfield he would have been able to to get uh, into behind the Switzerland line. Sean Maguire might have been able to do that. I don't know what his fitness says. Um, Callum Robinson certainly would have been able to, to kind of match up uh, speed-wise. But like like you, said, like you said, Phil, the fact that Scott Hogan can't get in a bad Stoke team um, and he's coming on for 30 minutes, I think it was just under 30 minutes mm. um, of, of a qualifier where we had to score at that point. Like it was only 1-0 and we were kind of getting back into the game slightly. Um, you kind of have to wonder like what the thought process behind that was, um, the fact that we're we're shifting the likes of James Connolly and Scott Hogan around, who are very very limited lump forward strikers that aren't they're just not going to hold up the ball or b be able to take a chance if it fell to them. The, the whole thing was so tactically muddled that night because they started three five two, which fair enough wasn't working for all the reasons we discussed. 
Then they switched to kind of this 4 1 4 1 for a while. Then um, Collins was through the middle, and Connolly was uh, left, and McLean was right. And then all of a sudden, James Collins appeared on the left. Like our target man striker playing like left of a front three. And then he's a place for Odauda, who's then on the right eventually. Like it was like the whole thing, it, it felt a little bit not quite as extreme, but a little bit like how uh, O'Neill had on his subs against mm. uh, Denmark in the uh, half time in the playoff. It, yeah. it, it just felt so muddled and like indecisive and like none of it made any sense. Like the, the Odauda for Collins switch, if you're bringing on Odauda, I presume you're looking for more kind of presence and calmness on the ball, but that's not where they didn't play him in an area that, that allowed. Then, like the Hogan switch made no sense because if you're looking to exploit tired legs and a ball over the top, Scott Hogan, like none of it made any sense last night. And I know, Keane, you said before the match in the group chat how man, how football managers make the look, man, how they make management look so difficult. I, like, mm-hmm. I don't understand. My, he, I was baffled last night. I just, I yeah. Yeah, it's just like it's not the whole. You don't want to go down the route of like calling every manager who makes you know odd decisions a dinosaur, but like basically like Mick McCarthy's a velociraptor. What do you call him? A velociraptor. Oh, without a doubt. Like I mean, like like you you just kind of like some of the the decisions he makes are just so strange, and it's like. There is definitely like a, you know a subset of manager like Mick and O'Neill to a certain degree and Steve Bruce and all these guys of a, of, a, of an era of a certain era who just just make like really odd decisions and it's like like I suppose like the the two teams that I would like closely follow obviously in terms of Villa and Dundalk you know for so for for you know. Dean Smith under Villa and um and, and for a long, long time Stephen Kenny at Dundalk, where it was like they just made like simple decisions round you know round peg, round hole. It yeah. they just made sense. And it was like, why do we do these this constant like square peg round hole? Because it just doesn't make sense. And like if it doesn't make sense to, to us, how does it make sense to the, the players like? I think over the two games looking back the um, the most egregious thing of all to take away is um is James McLean's performance and the fact that he played 180 minutes plus of football um and in terms of square pegs and round holes like he he started against Georgia top of the left was absolutely appalling give the ball away I don't know how many times I, I forget what the stat was and then 20 years plunged 28 like then to be plunged into that left wing back role when we've a perfect who was plugged into another um a square peg and round hole in terms of uh into stevens i it was just a real head scratcher and i think as especially as the george game went on and as we quickly established in the switzerland game james mclean I can see why he starts. He's a lot of caps under his name. He will put in, you know, the in inverted commas, he will put in the, in a shift. But the, he just doesn't have the quality. And when he doesn't have, he just really doesn't offer anything at the moment because he's giving away the ball. He's, what he gave, or what he offered, especially kind of areas in Matt O'Neill was, you know, the kind of hard work and he'd pop up with a goal. Mm. And that kind of flying tackle, and he get the crowd going, um, and he was more of a leader, more than a more than anything. Like he, he's just it's kind of sad to see what he's become over the past couple of games, and the fact persists with him is is so frustrating. The FEI put a put a like a stat up, um, a stat up um before the Georgia game, and it was like a heat map, and you know all his like you know um physical output stats, um. Mm. And it was like he covered in in the previous game, I think it was against against Switzerland. He covered something like twelve kilometers, which is insane, right? But I guarantee you, like at least eight of those kilometers are from him giving the ball away and running <laughs> after like the man who's stolen it off. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like that. That's and I, look to be honest, lads. Like James McLean is an easy horse to flog. Mm. You know, it, it, you know, it's McCarthy that keeps on playing him despite him being pretty bad so it's like it's Mac- it's on McCarthy like do you know what I mean? give somebody else a bloody chance like do you know what I mean? like it can't get any worse 
like it's not it's not McLean's fault that he's handed the jersey. Like and because no. of the character because of the character we know he is, when he's picked, wherever he's picked, he's gonna go out and at least try his try his best. Yeah. And just mm. his best isn't particularly good anymore and it was particularly good for kind of two years under O'Neill. Like mm. <laughs> how many teams in world football, especially in, in international football, try and shoehorn themselves into a, a, a three five two formation like England did at the World Cup and then they're playing mm. Kyle Walker as one of the three centre halves. And like we actually have the players to play three five two, and McCarthy, with not enough time to practice the formation, doesn't put the natural players in the natural positions. Is so desperate to fit McLean into the team uh, for this mythical work rate that apparently none of his other players have, and um, that he'll actually like if you're not going to have time to practice the team, play the players who are used to playing there in their normal positions as opposed to this like we keep saying square pegs into round holes. And um, mm. all of this, like it, it looked like it was basically to suit McLean that that the, the back line sh- changes. Like obviously, mm. so part of the formation suited Connolly in terms of it gave him a support that Mick felt he needed. And um, but like the the back line changes all looked to the benefit of uh, James McLean to find somewhere from on the thing. So in in reality, lads, what we're saying here is we shall henceforth be known as the Republic of James McLean. <laughs> <laughs> But when he's still playing, when like he's thirty-five, like Glenn Whelan, and we all thought he was retiring a year ago, and McLean just yeah. has this career resurgence, and we're on here in a couple of years' time, and Keen, you're giving it eleven out of ten because of how good uh, James McLean was in a crucial Euro qualifier. We'll all look really stupid then. I refuse to believe this, lads. <laughs> <laughs> um. As, as bad as the Swiss performance was overall, um, I think it's safe to say Coleman, Seamus Coleman, had one of his poor nights. Um, in fact, it was probably his worst performance in, in an Ireland shirt. Phil, you had an interesting theory um, as to what might be going on there with Coleman um, in kind of his club and country form over the past couple of months. Yes, this is actually something, the genesis of the idea, I have to hold my hands up, wasn't uh, wasn't all my own. I, I heard it on a, on a show on the Anfield Rap. Um, they were kind of doing a review of, of the, their Liverpool's rival season so far, and they were talking about how weird it's been at Everton and how things have darkened under Marco Silva a little bit. And Coleman is part of that, and like as obviously as somebody who suffered a major injury at a really kind of crucial age from, it's felt like he's lost a couple of yards since then, and it almost feels like he's angry at his body, or I don't know what he's angry at, but he's very clearly angry because in the, in the past month alone. Uh, he probably rightly had a goal, Calvert-Lewin, for robbing a goal on him, but he did it in front of the whole stadium right after the ball went in. He etched the head off Calvert-Lewin as team captain. Then the next week, he got sent off for two yellow cards, which were very un Seamus Coleman-like. There was one pretty nasty tackle, which was a borderline mm. red on its own. And then last night, um, he got into verbal to Jack and got booked. He kept trying these mental, like playing out from the back, body faint things, trying to knock it through lads' legs and losing the ball in mad places that he'd never do. And then, okay, we're only looking up at the handball. But that's another red card in a couple of games. He, like, he, he just seems, for a character who was so pos- such a positive force around you and seen as such a great leader, uh, and anger was never really an outward part of his game, uh, whatever motivated him internally. Outwardly, he never was an angry player. He's more like Roy Keane now. Uh, <laughs> the bad <laughs> version of Roy Keane. Yeah. The kind of red mist, uh, which is something I, I never mm. thought we'd be discussing about Coleman. But there just feels like there's something... Yeah. Wrong. And I don't know whether it's because he's losing that half yard. And I saw somebody make an interesting point that because he's lost that half yard and he's playing in such an important position, a fullback, that he's picking up more yellows and picking up more suspensions and reds because his timing's gone, because he's a yard or two slower than he had been. So it might be kind of a combination and a kind of a compilation of all these things. But it, there's just been in the last month enough evidence to convince me that Seamus Goldman isn't exactly the same Seamus Goldman as we've come to know and really respect. Would you say though that he's? I've seen a few people saying that last night that you know he's not he's not been performing for Everton, um, you know, at a at a decent level this this season. And I would slightly disagree with that though. I think he's like he at the at the tail end of last season. I did see Everton fans giving out about him, and you know how he needed to be replaced. But I. From from what I've seen of Everton this year, he's been reasonably good. Like he's been getting up and down the wing, he's been getting past his man, getting balls in. So, yeah, I, I would be slightly, I would be, mm, I, I'd be a bit on, 
I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I'd agree fully, Phil. And mm. um, what I would say is that, like last night, he seemed really unsure of himself, and I've yeah. never seen that before with, with Coleman. Like there was one instance I kind of remember where he was on the touchline in the second half. He actually nutmegged and um, he nutmegged the Swiss the, the Swiss um, midfielder. I think I don't know who it was, and but he he'd lost the ball after he nutmegged him. And uh, just before that, he just got the ball and he didn't know what to do with it. Maybe it was that was because, like, you know, the options were so scarce and there wasn't really an outball to give or whatever. But, like, it was literally like he was like a rabbit in the headlights. I've never seen that with Coleman. So it's like there is definitely something going on with him. Like, I've no no arguments on that. But Mm. I I don't know if I would say, like, that he's not at the level that he used to be. Like, look, he's, what, 31, 32 now? You know, Mm. in in terms of his, like, he he might have slowed down. But I I, I still think he's a pretty, pretty good defender. And I still think he's Ireland's, he's probably Ireland's best player right now. Um, But, I mean, yeah. I like. Would you, would I review started Doherty in his place last night? In the formation, um, I would have started Doherty at right wing back, but I would have tried to accommodate Coleman as one of the three centre half backs. I think, and um, just, just because at right wing back Doherty uh, plays in one of like three league, Premier League teams, who actually plays that system every week. It's his. Yes, yeah, yeah. It, like he he spoke quite interestingly recently on second captain about how he views it quite differently to a traditional right back. And mm-hmm. um, so, just specifically for last night, as a right wing back, I would have, but I would have tried to accommodate Coleman. If it had been a back four, I probably would have picked Coleman because, again, he's a right back rather than uh, a right wing back. I put it to you, right? That I don't disagree, but let me just like offer two caveats to that, right? I thought Doherty was quite poor against Georgia. Now, he did have that. He did have that one jinking run. Where you know he just about overran it, you know, and and you know could, could have made a little bit more of it. But other than that, I thought he was quite poor. I thought he was a bit. I thought he was a bit dozy. There yeah. was a couple of times. There was a couple of times when he'd like he, he'd lost his man behind him, and he just kind of like didn't really make an attempt to to, to close the ball down or, or run after the man. And I was just like, what is he doing? Do you know what I mean? It, 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 it looked like he was like playing on Xanax or something like that. Mm. Um, yeah, so overall, I wasn't overly impressed with him against Georgia. And uh, and the second caveat is that I seen Coleman, I was at the Northern Ireland game, um, the Ireland, Northern Ireland friendly, like um, at the Aviva. And they played it. Th- yeah, yeah. And, and Ireland played a 3 5 2 um, that night as well. And Coleman played the, at the right side centre back and he was friggin' awful. He was shite. Um, so those would be the two caveats, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> They're both shite. <laughs> um, yeah, like... Yeah, I, yeah I, I just don't know about about, about playing Doherty. And then you're, you're dropping your captain and, like, you know, mm. Coleman's essentially, like, so well-respected by the players and all this. So, yeah, yeah there's a lot of tuning from um, there, basically. On the Doherty point, um, in terms of his performance against Georgia, which, if he wasn't the worst player on the field, I thought he was definitely one one of the worst. And leading into the game, and in the second captain's um, interview he did with Richie Sadler, I know Richie asked him about playing left-back, because at that point we knew Stevens was going to be suspended. And I felt like Doherty tried to talk himself into the thought of playing the position. Um, He probably knew himself that he was going to be put there. And he kind of, you know, just dusted himself off saying, yeah, I I played there before. Um, It's a lot different to right back, which is fair enough. It's a lot more different to right wing back, but it should be okay. And then he did an interview um, in the press conference, I think, and... I probably heard it on Newstalk or one of the radio stations and someone asked him when was the last time he had played left back for his club and he had to correct himself a couple of times. Like he had to kind of think, oh, was it two years, uh, two and a half? Was it all comfortable playing at left back? And the performance probably reflected that. 
Um, like you said, Keane, he looked a bit dozy. He looked uninterested at times. Um, he just didn't look like he should have been starting a left back. And obviously, we didn't have many options there um, to play him. And I think the performance against Georgia probably ruled him out of starting against Switzerland um, at right wing back or otherwise. Uh, I mean, I think the fact, and it's probably like a chain of events where we've lost Richard Kyo, which is one less centre-back to call upon, which means we, we only really have three centre-backs at the moment. Is Mick going to start all three centre-backs? Or Doherty for the right wing-back position? Doherty had hugely underperformed. We've ended Stevens at centre-back, so we don't have our left wing-back. And it's just kind of a, a whole kind of a chain of events which led to, um, first of all, Doherty underperforming against Georgia and then Coleman underperforming against Switzerland. Mm. And... Going back to Coleman, I think it's probably uh, are probably very high, um, and I know reading a lot of Everton fans are starting to lose patience. But he's playing in a, in a, an Everton side that is really underperforming. Yeah. He's probably an easy scapegoat there in terms of they have um, Diderot Sidibe uh, waiting on the sidelines for the board in the summer who hasn't played yet. Um, I mean, Everton are, are just playing bad in general this year, and. It's not just Coleman, it's, it's Luke Destiny on the other side. Hasn't been nearly as effective as last Um But now we're in a situation where um, Coleman's going to be suspended for Denmark, um, I believe, with the red card. Yeah. So that gives us an opportunity to see Doherty, at, if not right back, in a right wing back position. And because Coleman was so bad against Switzerland, I do wonder if this could be maybe the beginning of the end for him, um, especially if we don't qualify. Is Stephen Kenny going to come in and think that he, the way he plays is going to be better with Matt Doherty? It, it's going to be interesting to watch because mm. depending on how Doherty goes against Denmark, I mean, if he has an absolute uh, cracker in a right wing back position, He's really going to nail his colours to the mask going forward. Um, and that could kind of put Coleman in a precarious position. And I mean, obviously, mm. it's difficult to drop your captain. But um, if his current form comes going, continues, um, it's going to be hard to overlook Doherty from now on. I just wonder, does, does Matt Doherty doubt himself a lot? Mm. Well, does he doubt himself when it comes to playing for Ireland? Because obviously, yeah, I think so. Y- you know, he's had this kind of like hanging over him for like what three years now, where it's yeah. like everybody is saying, "Oh, like why aren't you in the team?" And like, you know, and it came across. It's like you said, Kev. It came across like that in the in the interview in the the uh, the, the players' chair with, with, with Richie Sadler, where it was like he was just like. You know, maybe he was being sort of like vigilant, and you know, or, or maybe like a little bit sort of like contrary. I don't think he was, but it sounded like he just like doesn't seem to have faith in himself when it comes to playing for Ireland, which is really weird. Like, but it, look, it could be a subconscious thing. Um, I suppose after the kind of week, we're we're not dead from qualifying. We obviously have Denmark um, and the Nations League playoffs to come um, if we do lose to Denmark. But are we have we reached a point now where we're kind of yearn, yearning for Stephen Kenny? Uh, is, is his era uh, kind of come soon enough, really, uh, Phil? Like, I suppose the way that the group is after unfolding and the way the fixtures unfolded, we had quite a lot of the kind of fortuitous... Uh, easier fixtures early, which means we got points on the board and we arrived at this kind of crucial three-match run with three of our most difficult fixtures at the end. So there was nearly like a, a false position almost for us. Like if the fixtures had fell differently and we lost 2-0 to Switzerland in the first game and the results had stayed the same, there, there's nearly more of an upswing of positivity. I think it's just because um, of, of we had the board points on the board quite early and they've all stalled. Like... There was, they, they made a big deal last night that it was the first time Ireland could have qualified for a major tournament with a game to spare. This is the norm for us, that it goes to the wire. Mm. Um, and in, in a group where we're third seeds, it's probably fair enough that it goes to the wire and it's probably fair enough that we have to beat one of the two teams above us to make it. I don't think that's an unreasonable demand upon us. I think people are getting increasingly tetchy about Mick just because we've scored six goals and two or three of them are against Gibraltar and 
again, another two or three were from set pieces. Um, so, like, how turgid things have been and how we thought maybe we were getting a break from that when Mick came and took over from, from Martin O'Neill. But I suppose the mood will all change if we turn up on the 18th of November. Yeah. Mick's great. Um, but if we have to go through a potential of two different playoff games against either Slovakia or Wales and then Bosnia or Northern Ireland, uh, the only thing that might like to touch paper there is the Northern Ireland game. I mean, the idea of drawn with Denmark, say, on the 18th of November and losing to Wales in a playoff semi-final, that sounds pretty grim and it'll be a pretty innocent mm. way for, for Mick to kind of slide out the back door. Um, mm. And then I suppose it doesn't help that not the this week's result notwithstanding, there's still all this positivity around Kenny's 21s. Mm. Um, I think it, hinge, it hinges on the Denmark game, how, how Mick nearly could be remembered. I mean, if we lose and end up going out in the playoffs, it might just be a bit of a footnote to his Ireland career. Whereas if we win, we qualify. I mean, it's a whole second chapter. Mm. Like I would, um, I would, when it comes to Ireland, right? It's it's a psychology. It's like there is don't do not give us two chances. Do not give us two chances because we will not take that 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 first route. Yeah. To to do you know that kind of way? We will wait until the very last minute to get a deal. Do you know what I mean? It's it's it, that's that's just the way the country is just the way the country is built. It's like we will wait until the last minute. It's like it's like anything else. It's like if I have a job to do and I have like three days to do it. Do you think I'm going to do it on the third last day? Hell no. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to wait until the last minute to do it. And that's just the way this Irish team has always been. Like we have never qualified automatically, have we? Uh, unless 88, 88 might have been automatic, but like, it, was, it was like eight teams that qualified, so there was no yeah. playoff. Yeah, I mean, like, we but just we it was, always it was go. Against Bulgaria, yeah. we got qualified for somebody else. Yeah, I mean, like, we just we just don't do it. And, like, can somebody explain to me how the playoffs work? Because I didn't even realise this. This is this God's honest truth. I did not realise <laughs> that we could still qualify through the playoffs in March. I thought. This was beat Switzerland uh, or beat Denmark, and that's it. So this is news to me. So, so can somebody explain to me how this works? Like, how, where are we, where are we, like, what's the, is it a draw? Do, you know, oh. I, I don't get it. Yeah. So basically, and today, actually, funny enough, after we lost, is the first day I've seen widespread coverage of it. But essentially, um, UEFA are guaranteeing places for every tier of, the uh, Nations League at the at the Euros, right? So regardless mm. of the qualifying campaign, every tier of the Euros is going to be uh, represented at at the, at the at the finals. So if they're reserving places for Tier A, which is obviously all the best nations, the chances are they're going to qualify automatically. So like England, Holland, Portugal, Spain, all the good teams mm. will qualify in their groups. So their place, the Tier A nations league places, drop down to the nation to the B tier. And so on and so forth. So the more teams that qualify automatically from each tier, those places roll over like a lot of jackpot down to the next, and um, down to the next tier and the next tier. So basically, there's going to be loads of tier A spaces coming down to tier B. There's going to be loads of tier B spaces taken up by people like uh, Denmark if they qualify automatically, mm-hmm. and the the four um, best seeded teams, so the four teams who did best in the Nations League get to play off for the playoff or for the for a place in the finals basically the way way it looks now is Bosnia are currently the highest seeded team who aren't qualifying automatically then it's Wales then it's us then it's Northern Ireland in our tier right we play Wales because second and third seeds play each other and Bosnia play Northern Ireland one-legged semi-finals and then a one-legged final straight knockout so one team from tier b would be going through so we could so we could play one of wales slovakia or northern ireland beat one of them potentially and then we have to go into the second game to Mm. the actual final so we play either wales or slovakia depending on who finishes second in their group Mm. Uh, we play either wales or slovakia and then we play the winner of bosnia and northern ireland Wow. If, everything, if everything goes as planned. And then that right. works down to C, C and D as well. All the A teams are going to be 
sorted out by the looks of things, I think. In that case, in that case, if, if Mick, if, sorry, if, if Ireland don't beat Denmark tomorrow, yeah. uh, sorry, in November, I, yeah. I would have Kenny in. I would have Kenny in, absolutely. Oh, oh. Because if we can't beat Switzerland and Denmark, right, what gives you any sort of optimism? Like, did the country would be on just, did the whole atmosphere around the team would just be on a, on a huge downer, particularly if you didn't get the result against Denmark at home? There would be nothing to lift you for the games, for those, like, pivotal games. So, what, like, you may as well inject a bit of fresh enthusiasm with Kenny. You're not losing anything by by getting rid of Mick at that, at that juncture. Do you know what I mean? You have nothing to lose. Like, just go with Kenny. I mean, like, mm. the, the, you want Kenny to be in stuff. You nearly want Kenny to come in there as, like, the saviour of Irish football. That's what you want. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know how many training sessions and how many, like, camps he would have between then and the Irish. Like, he probably wouldn't have any. And um, came in March, I think. Yeah, so he, he would have minimal time. But the placebo effect of, of him coming in and, and coming in with huge fanfare, I think, would be enough to like get us over the line against some of these tier kind of like two nations. Because I have no confidence in, in Ireland beating um, Denmark. Mm-hmm. And I don't see why anybody should. Oh, yeah, we're playing at home. Great, great. How many goals have we scored um, in, the, in the tournament so far? Six? Six? All, in, all, yeah. all from... Sorry, no, five of them, I think, from set plays. I'm like, w- like, why would you have... Like, don't get me wrong, Denmark have been absolute dog shit mm. in qualifying as well. They have been awful. Um, like, they, they, they absolutely robbed um, uh, that win against Swit- uh, Switzerland with some sort of unbelievable masterclass from Kasper Schmeichel. But, like, in reality, like, even as shit as they have been, like, they, they should be... They should be absolutely, like full of beans going mm. to Dublin like they'll be like yeah let's have a bit of this and like, these guys can't play and we don't have Duffy and we do we do oh we sorry do have you're, you're, Duffy. we do have Duffy we do have Duffy sorry we do have Duffy so it's Coleman that's suspended but so Matt, Matt Doherty's going to play there anyway yeah as bad as Denmark have been what over the past while is they have grown an utter hatred for playing Ireland and I think they would take they would utter satisfaction in coming to the Viva once again and pacing us, which is what do if we like we have done against Georgia or Switzerland. And you have all these characters and players and management in and around Denmark coming out of how bad Ireland are. And they, they would drink of us and it would suit them to come to the Viva having needed to win. Um, because I think the way the group is set up now is they all, they have to get a result in Dublin. Um, they will annihilate us. Um, you would imagine we'd be better prepared than, than what Martin and he was um, the last time out. But um, Denmark would uh, would would love uh, thanks for your uh, for your uh, rundown on on the Nations League because I have it here in front of me and. What's kind of started to confuse me now is our initial relegation from the previous league has been reversed because right. they've rejigged the groups and we are still in League B. Um, yeah. Of, so, I mean, the Nations League is, is a bit of a farce and the fact that, that it could provide us, um, albeit um, unlikely considering the teams we're probably coming up against, um, that they could provide us with a, a backdoor into the European Championships. I mean, the UEFA are giving us every possible opportunity to qualify. Um, mm. and like Maybe they want team, us there. Maybe they want us there. Maybe like they need us there. It's like, do you know what I mean? We're hosting it and it's like, mm. you know, if, if Ireland doesn't get there, like it's just going to be like a bit of an anti-climax and yeah. no one will give a shit. Like, do you know what I mean? You'll just like, you, you'll you'll not have your like you'll not have your like Tomo from like Bally Doyle like rocking up to the Aviva <laughs> absolutely gee-eyed on pints like do you know that kind of way you won't have any of that you know nobody's gonna go to like Slovakia against Croatia they'll all be like oh fuck that 
are we are we going to be as good um, hosts as we are um, guests? Like we're famously best fans in the world, tidy up after ourselves, sing our fathers and nuns on trains. Are we going to be as good when we have to bring people to Dublin, I wonder? Or are we just going to be the usual stay in slatteries until 15 minutes before the match, knock in just after the national anthem and be ready to go for kickoff? Like I wonder, like, are we going to have the same kind of uh, Irish fans on tour buzz if we do qualify and we welcome people along? Uh, I don't know. There might be a flaw there. I think people lose their inhibitions when they're going to France drinking like three euro bottles of wine in the street. Oh, I can't wait until like you know, like you know, like Swiss people and all that rock up to the red line. Do you know what I mean? The red line in Dublin, like the Lewis, and like you know, they're accosted by junkies left, right, and centre. Like that's going to be amazing. Get that on camera, lads. I'm I'm here for that. <laughs> I think we, I think we will, I think we will be good guests. I, I do as well. Like, yeah. you know, I think, like, you know, the, you know, I mean, like, this country is like, let's be honest, like, you know, the country is mad about sport, and we're like yeah. event junkies, like, do you know, that kind of way. We love that, like, that, like, big impress. event that we can all, like, yeah, keen to impress and keen to impress and keen to sink numerous pints, and exactly. um, like, basically every day of the week. Um, obviously, we don't have a drinking problem. I'm not saying that, um, but we do. <laughs> And UEFA are spread out across Europe. How many nations' fans are going to travel from city to city? And you can count on Irish fans if I will travel and will European wide event. Whereas if we're not there, obviously that'll take this thing out of it. Even though we are hosting. Yeah, I think. Are, are two of our group games guaranteed to be in Dublin if we, if we get yeah. there? We're going to have two home games. Yeah. Uh, and, and the knockout game if, exactly, we, if yeah. we qualify. Yeah. And so we only have to qualify. I think we only have, I don't know, is it London or Amsterdam, depending on where we what, what groups we end up in, or maybe it's Rome. Mm. I can't remember. Um, I think I think we're linked with um, Bilbao in Spain. Um, yeah, sorry, like our, Bilbao. Right, sorry. Our Bilbao. core country, yeah. Bilbao's amazing. I hope we get that. Like, because like I would absolutely travel to Bilbao again. It is an amazing city. Are we the only um, host nation who wasn't qualify? Oh, no, Azerbaijan or Baku's hosting games. They're hardly qualifying, are they? No, I don't think so. No, they're nowhere near. Like, could be us two though. The only two not qualifying. I'd imagine everyone else is. It's a bit depressing. Yeah. Yeah. How typical would that be? Yeah, I still think we'll qualify. Like, I'm not, I'm not like I don't think we'll beat Denmark. And um, but if you if you told me like, I'll tell you what, lads, if you told me that we had two games against Northern Ireland, Wales, or Slovakia to make the Euros, I would be all for that. Do you know what I mean? In yeah, keeping yeah, yeah. With, like in keeping with mix, kind of like you know, off oh, you told me like I had a game against Denmark <laughs> to win, yeah. like do you know what I mean. So I'm going all in on that. If you told me that we had to beat Northern Ireland, to be fair, lads, I think Northern Ireland would actually beat us. Could you imagine a one-off playoff final? Like, because like we can only meet them in the last game, and uh, we can't, so we can't meet them before that. So imagine, like, current political climate as it is, an absolute mm. box of a picture. Wherever they play it, they'd have to play it in Anfield or somewhere. They'd have to get it off the island. It'd be bananas. Let's finish off. Um, I think it's probably mostly losers, but um, if we could get your winners and losers, um, champs and chumps, um, over the past week for for Ireland, Phil, we'll start with you. Yeah, uh, I'd start with the good news with the champs. Uh, I think the centre half, uh, Duffy and Egan, I think uh, probably my champs just in terms of it was their first pairing together since they were playing under 21, under 20 or whatever, um, seven or eight years ago. And I think it, it's the it's the start of a really promising partnership for Ireland. Like Duffy's very obviously our, our best player, but Egan stepped in and looked every inch the Premier League centre-half he is. I think his, his distribution could be important for, for us, especially if Mick does end up persisting with 3-5-2. Um, I thought they were two bright sparks across the both games. I, I don't know if anyone had two good games outside of maybe those two guys, which says it all that maybe our two best players are two centre-halves, which is great. I mean, <laughs> I'd be bashing a lot in this. I don't want to do it again. But, like, James McLean, <laughs> like, I, just, I can't get past them. And I know it's Mick's fault, right? I just, I, could, I just can't get past them 
running full pelt into a fullback's leg, going skidding five yards on the muddy pitch last night, and like lying there while um, Licksteiner is like thirty six pedals away from him. Uh, like, I'm sorry, James, you've been you are a great servant to the country, but like Jesus Christ, I I just have to give it to him. Mm. Uh, my my champ of the week is without a shadow of a doubt, Glenn Whelan. Um, you know, feeling Whelan, what a performance. Uh, an absolute totemic presence in the Irish midfield. Um, and at 35 years of age, do you know what I mean? It's like it was his second 98-minute performance in like four days. Like I've played like five a side tonight. I am in absolute <laughs> agony right now. Like, do you know what I mean? Agony. <laughs> like I'm gonna need bath salts. I'm gonna need like a massage tomorrow. Probably gonna get my my girlfriend to give me a a, a friggin uh, a, a facial. That's I was gonna say a facial. Um, yeah, I'm just a shamble. So Glenn Whelan's my champ of the week. Um, and my champ of the week is Peter Schmeichel. What a mm. knob! What a <laughs> knob! Like yeah. he, he was like, look, I'm all for honesty, lads. Don't get me wrong and straight talking, like, do you know what I mean? But don't be rude about it, like, do you know what I mean? Don't be like, you know, he was basically given the Swiss, like, you know, sexual favors, and you know, telling them how great they were and how shit we were. And um, now that may be true, but don't be rude about it. Um, so yeah, Peter Schweikel's my chump of the week. Um, for me, my chump of the week has to be and. This is coming from left field now. It has to be Derek Williams um, to come on in wow. the 93rd minute for your second cap in a nil all against Georgia to see out to see out the draw. Um, it, it really is inspirational stuff um, from Derek Williams. Um, <laughs> oh, he's your champ. Probably of the week. he's he's my champ of the week. Oh, sorry, I um, thought you said he was your chump of the no, week. No, no, no. Is that my tip? It was that my tip axing, Ken. Sorry. How how could I how could I? Uh, <laughs> Pour more negativity on Derek Williams yeah, for being, I was like, for, Jesus, being that's harsh. for being <laughs> the most negative substitution of all time um, in the ninety third minute against Georgia at nil nil. Um, so he's my champ because because he he, do, he deserves a, an arm around the shoulder for that. Um, my chump of the week. Um, phew, this is a tough one actually. Uh, um, probably go with, and I feel a bit harsh considering. I do like him as a player, but I think Matt Doherty's performance um, against Georgia was just hugely, hugely. Um, it was just bad, it was, and it was kind of we we should be expecting a lot more from him. So, um, picking the kind of out of a bunch here, a, a bad um, basket of apples, but Matt Doherty, mm. my chump of the week. But credit credit to Derek Williams because two caps. That's a, that was a second cap. Um, his eyes must have lit up when Mick gave him the nod to come on um, ahead of some of the players that were there like Sir Jack Byrne and, he, and Josh Cullen probably, and Derek, Derek Williams probably I mean, thought he was going up front Derek, yeah, mean, like, yeah, yeah. Derek was coming in to do a job for that last 10 seconds um, and in fairness he, he held out and, and has a clean sheet to his name um, so I think we'll leave it there for this week um, overall a pretty, pretty disappointing week but we do have um a couple of more uh, shots at qualification next month with uh, Denmark and feeling that we have the Nations League but um, for this week uh, we'll leave it there Keen Phil thanks for that thanks Kev thanks Keen. an honour and a privilege lads and we'll talk to you next week